who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yep. his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break, this podcast, the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. This marks the 100th episode of the show, and what better film to discuss for episode 100 than the newest film in the Expendables franchise, Expendables 4. In this current entry, everyone's favorite team of jovial mercenaries is back after a nine-year gap since the last film. This time, Jason Statham's Lee Christmas character takes the lead from Sylvester Stallone as he attempts to stop the sale of nuclear weapons on board a cargo ship. Returning alongside Statham once again are Stallone, Dolph Lundgren, and Randy Couture. But joining the team is also Megan Fox, Curtis, 50 Cent Jackson, Tony Jaa, and Andy Garcia as they go up against martial artist Iko Uwais. The new guy. Remember this face. I'll shoot it by accident. <laughs> Terrorists have taken possession of nuclear missiles. If these babies go off, it'll be World War III. Good to be back. That's all. Come on, if I do. Is that the biggest one you've got? Oh, it's way bigger than that. Expendable. Definitely rated R. In theaters September 22nd. I'm your host, Sean, and I decided to do something slightly different for this episode. And instead of having just one guest, we'll be pulling our own Expendables gimmick and bringing on multiple voices to share their thoughts on the film. First up will be my guest spot on the Piecing It Together podcast, in which I was invited on to discuss Expendables 4. After, I will be reading and sharing the thoughts regarding Expendables 4 from previous guests, friends, and fans of the show. So first up is my conversation with David Rosen on the Piecing It Together podcast. David is a great guy, and he's been on this show a couple of times, and I've also had the pleasure of guesting on his show a few times as well. So with that out of the way, here is our Expendables 4 discussion on Piecing It Together. All right, there's only one person I could have on to talk about Expendables 4, and he's here. It's Sean Malloy. Sean, how's it going? Oh, hey, man. I'm, I'm excited to be back. Thank you for the uh, for the opportunity. Um, I, I will say, first of all, about this film. Um, no, it's not great, but I did still have fun with it. So I think mm-hmm. that's that's a compliment. Right. Yeah. But the, yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for extending the uh, the invite here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and yeah, I mean, we could jump right into the fact that uh, this movie, I, I, I think people who wanted, you know, just a, a kind of dumb, over-the-top, ridiculous 
silly fun expendables movie also didn't quite get that um and so it's like it's been it's been really pretty uh underwhelming i think for a lot of people and obviously at the box office not doing too well but there's still things to like about it and like you know we're not gonna just sit here and just crap on it or anything like that there's still uh you know there's still some fun sylvester stallone moments obviously we've got some dolph lundgren moments to talk about but uh you know there, there's there's stuff here for sure yeah, well, I think what what's really interesting about this one is, okay, the first Expendables movie came out um, in 2010. And so, I mean, I've said it on my show before, but um, when the first movie came out, I mean, the excitement level on my behalf, as well as so many uh, action fans or people who grew up in the 80s and the 90s watching right. these guys. I mean, oh, my God, the excitement of the first one was was pretty amazing. And depending on who you talk to, I think, you know, um, it lived up to those expectations, you know, for the most part. But then two years later, when the second one came around, the second one delivered in so many ways because the second one is more of a team up movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You had the added um, uh, the added additions of Chuck Norris, even though it's a real small little cameo. And then you also had Jean-Claude Van Damme as a villain. Yeah. I mean, the, the second one is amazing. Then by the time the third one rolled around, I mean, the third one is a mess. I know we're talking the fourth one today, so we're not going to get into the third one. But the third one is just an absolute complete mess. And then we thought that the series was essentially dormant and was was dead for um, sure, for lack of better terms. So to get a fourth one nine years later, it was like, wow, really? And I will just say right now, I mean, that was one of my big points. One of the things that um, was was slightly kind of frustrating is, I mean, when you look at the Expendables films, I mean, you're not going to them for story at all for that matter i mean these are yeah. gimmick films okay that that do gimmick stunt casting if you will and so like i said with expendables one and two you know it certainly delivered with all those action stars but with the third one and especially by this one the novelty of seeing all of those dudes on the on the same screen occupying the same space has has completely worn off and that's that's really what's unfortunate here yeah no i i agree also like and I didn't know this. I didn't like follow the ups and downs of the production of Expendables Four or Expendaforals. Depending I did. On I did. Ask, so but, I, I can fill in I, for you. But <laughs> yeah, but I was reading a little bit earlier today, and some of the names that were thrown around beforehand. Uh, first of all, as acting, Pierce Brosnan, Jack Nicholson, Clint Eastwood, but then directing Duncan Jones and DJ Caruso. I mean, all around better options than what we landed on and so i don't i don't know where we got to the point where uh you know here we are you know scott wild director of need for speed is our director and then our additions are basically megan fox and 50 cent um i i'm not quite sure where it all lands there well there were a couple things real quick i mean if and i'll try and give you the, the the cliff notes abbreviated version of what happened here but my understanding is that um Basically, uh, Millennium Films—that's the company that's uh, that's behind the these the Expendables franchise. Um, their intent was to hand the series over to uh, to Jason Statham, okay, and they mm. were going to make it a spinoff movie. Um, I, I think the working title for a brief period—I kid you not—was it was going to be called The Expendables: colon, A Christmas Story. 
Get it? Okay. <laughs> Already better than this movie. Yeah. So that was kind of what was percolating at the beginning. Um, I also, also what happened was, um, I guess, and this was years ago, but Millennium Films in their possession, they had purchased a script years ago, a long time ago, I guess, um, about, uh, I, I don't know, I can't remember the exact title of what the script was, but it was basically about a cargo ship that had um, nuclear capabilities aboard it and mm. some commandos had to go in and defuse the situation. So it's very clear when you hear that, it's very clear that what Millennium yeah. Films and Lionsgate and all the powers that be did was they just said, hey, you know that idea we've been kicking around for with, with, with Jason Statham doing an Expendables movie? Let's just dust off that script, make it, make it an Expendables script. Right. And the audience won't know the difference. What's interesting is um, a buddy of mine mentioned this and he said, like, look, you could basically take out the other Expendables guys and this would basically be Mechanic 3. And I said, yeah, you know what? I mean, it could pretty much be any of those. It could be a sequel to any of those movies that Jason Statham did with Lionsgate because Statham always plays the same character anyway. So in the end, what this movie basically did is. It's still a spin-off story, if you want to call it that. Um, it's it's basically, okay, it's a Lee Christmas movie that's guest-starring a few of the Expendables. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. And yeah. I, you know, it, it still should work um, right. to a degree. I mean, Jason Statham is charismatic as hell. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the few who absolutely loved Meg 2 earlier this year. So, you know, I'm I'm fine with Jason Statham. Um, but it, there's just not much there to this story, unfortunately. But I, I think we should start getting into some puzzle pieces here. And, you know, we'll talk about a little bit more about, you know, things that did and didn't work along the way. But what do you have for your first puzzle piece for Expendables 4? Um, <laughs> uh, G.I. Joe, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. know what I mean? What, what's, so, what's interesting about the Expendables films, the thing that I will give them credit for that I do like is that these are the closest things that we will ever get to a proper G.I. Joe movie. Um, they've they've mm. had the opportunity, Paramount Pictures has had the opportunity uh, three times to make a proper G.I. Joe movie, and they have failed all three times. Yeah. However, if you look at these films, particularly Expendables 2, you know, I mean, that that, that it's basically G.I. Joe. I mean, and, and to an extent, I mean, on one hand, it's fun and it works. If it was a G.I. Joe movie... I think it would it would work 100%. But what's interesting is you have these characters. I mean, the movie is a gimmick, as is, right? Um, but you have all these characters that are also gimmicks. So you have Lee Christmas. He's the knife expert, right? And then you mm. have uh, a Randy Couture's Toll Road character. Well, he's the explosions guy, okay? And then uh, Dolph Lundgren's character, he's the sniper and everything. I mean, and so it's like, okay, that that's kind of novel and cool. The problem, conversely, with that, though, is that you really don't give a damn about any of the characters as a result. You right. know what I mean? You really don't. And I've, I've been saying this on my show numerous times, but um, the series has never had any stakes. So expecting there to be stakes suddenly in this film, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I knew what I was getting going into it. But I think when you're going to make your characters just these one note gimmicks, yeah. then that you're, you're yeah, that the less said the better. But anyway, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, speaking of no stakes, I mean, you know, the whole thing is centered around Stallone dying and mm-hmm. uh, it's the most obvious, like, fake out of all time, maybe, uh, <laughs> that he didn't die in that opening scene. Well, and, and that's, I mean, on one hand, I mean, I was saying this from the beginning, but when I found out they were doing a fourth one, I was like, okay, get it back to basics, make it gritty, make it violent, and 
give this one some stakes for a change. And they did half of that, right? They made it R-rated again, which the marketing... Sure. Can we just talk real quick? The, the marketing for this particular film was was bananas. Like, it was like they... The powers that be who are controlling this franchise, they really don't know what they're doing. But, I mean, the marketing was just, you know, let's sell it on the fact that it's R-rated. This is R-rated. Yeah. You know what I mean? But in the end, all it was was just, you know, a crap load of dick jokes and... F-bombs every fourth word. I mean, it felt to an extent like it was a bunch of 10-year-old boys writing this film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I would say, like, back to that marketing, though, to me, I can't remember a single shot in the trailers outside of all of the Jason Statham, Megan Fox stuff. I feel like they sold it completely around that one scene, and that's Mm -hmm. what they, like, kind of sold this on, which is weird considering the whole you know, we've already talking about it. The whole setup of all these movies is that it's a team up thing. So to focus so heavily on their little, you know, screwed up relationship. Uh, I don't know. I thought that it was a weird thing even before we saw the movie, just from the trailers. Yeah, most definitely. It really was. I mean, and going back to Stallone's death, I put that in quotes, you know, what's, what's interesting about it is when it, when it happens on screen, you think for a minute, you're kind of like, okay, finally, the series has some stakes because if you look at Expendables two, um, the the Liam Hemsworth character was killed, he, he, but that was that was kind of a cheap one because it's like, well, we're gonna kill the fir- the one person that it's his first movie in, and okay, you know yeah. what I mean. And then by the by the third one, they make the other uh, it's a revenge mission um, because uh, Terry Crews gets mortally wounded. Only at the end mm. of the movie, Terry Crews is kicking back in a bar and drinking beers with them all. So I mean, this series has never had any stakes and almost feels like anybody who signs on for one of these films has it written in their contract that they will not die. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> probably when, so when you see Stallone's plane get blown up and you see that charred ash and his ring on the, uh, on the skeleton's you know finger and everything like that, you're thinking for a brief minute, okay, wow, this film really has some stakes. It's doing things. It's taking some chances. But then again, when you, I mean, Stallone is an egomaniac. He's not going to let one of his characters die. He never will. Never. So, I mean, it's one of those things where it was very lackluster where you're watching it and it's like, he's not dead. He's coming back. You know what I mean? Yep. And sure sure as hell. I actually would have had a little bit more respect for this movie if they just played off the reveal. uh, Like, like, no, no, I faked my death. Like, and not shown how he did it. Just like, you're just to accept that. And like, oh, I faked my death. Period. End of sentence. Like that would have been so ridiculous and so much fun, I think. But uh, no, they had to do that whole switcheroo thingy. But um, I don't know. I, I'll go to a puzzle piece here. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Adam McKay's The Other Guys uh, with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg as a couple of loser cops who uh, have to take over the story instead of the much cooler Samuel L. Jackson and The Rock, um, basically because they went and found... Like, th- this is a series about the coolest, bestest action heroes around, and they went and found 50 Cent and Megan Fox as their new ones. Um, not exactly the best it's, uh, replacements. It's insane. It really is. And that's that's what I went back to with the third one. I mean, it's insane. It's like, okay, these movies are built around, okay, all these tough action dudes, you know, Sharon, I, I said it already, but occupying the same space on screen together. I mean, that right there is pretty amazing. Um, The second one, for the most part, did that. Um, But the third one does something similar where it sidelines the guys who you want to see 
and throws in these nobodies that you really don't give a damn about. And with this particular film, yeah, it's just, it's bizarre because it's like, okay, the, the addition of Eco Oase as the, uh, as the main villain, I really liked him. I liked his batons, sure, his signature good. weapons, his batons. I thought that was really cool. Um, the inclusion of Tony Jaw as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, because these are action guys. That's the thing. These are action dudes. They're martial artists. They're they're bona fide tough guys. So bringing them into the mix, yeah, makes total sense. But then Megan Fox and 50 mm. Cent, it's kind of like, yeah. maybe if this was 2007. Okay. Right. But like in 2023, and then you're, they're going to throw them in, and then we're told that, okay, Megan Fox is now the new leader of the team. Why? I have no idea. I, I mean, she's just the leader of the team, but we're given no reasoning as to what her expertise is or why and then 50 cent is is literally given nothing i mean at all so it's kind of like man like you you brought these guys in and then then you have jacob sipico who comes in as supposedly antonio banderas's son and his gimmick is pretty much the exact same thing that antonio banderas did and it's just like a little extra pervy but uh yeah yeah and it's just like what (laughs) guys what what are we doing here you know and that's the thing that i come back to with with this particular film is it's like I was really open and excited about a new Expendables movie being made. But then it it was interesting because when it was in production, I mean, we should probably also say too, that this finished filming two years ago. Wow. And Lionsgate had been sitting on it for a while. And when you hear that, it's kind of like, it makes sense because I remember when, uh, yeah, Megan Fox was posting images on set and everything. And it was just kind of like, huh, Okay, they, you know, they they decided to make another one and they're making the same exact mistakes that they made with the third one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Y- you know what, Sean, I'm thinking <laughs> we're going to end up just like talking so bad about this movie and we-, we could talk plenty more about it along the way here, but rather than continuing course the way that we're doing right now, a while back, we had talked about doing a Breaking It Apart episode on just the Expendables as a series, and I feel like there's no reason to continue down this Expendables 4 road. Let's let's just trash that, and let's just go back to doing the Expendables as a Breaking It Apart episode. Let's talk about what movies the Expendables series has inspired, because I think that we'll get into a lot better stuff to talk about, first of all, but also I feel like some of the things we might bring up also kind of come back around and inspire this new one in the series, or at least, you know, this series, you know, uh, Scott Waugh would, you know, would claim to have been inspired by some of this stuff at least. But uh, I, I think we should do that. What do you think about that? Yeah, that sounds great. This, uh, that sounds uh, like a fun idea. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let, let's do it. What, what do you have? What, what do you think uh, that the Expendables movies might have inspired? Well, the the, the easiest... Um, comparison i mean that that no doubt in my mind was inspired by this one was triple threat um oh yeah now i I think i told you about triple threat have you seen triple threat you did and i i literally just watched it this weekend because you had mentioned it to me about how like after i was like so just let down by expendables 4 you were like you should watch triple threat and i i finally got around to it and it's pretty great triple threat's amazing i mean it's not groundbreaking or anything like that but triple threat what triple threat does is it 
it utilizes the same gimmick of the Expendables films, but it does it correctly. So what Triple Threat does right. is it casts um, Eco Oase, who we already talked about, to- um, Tony Jaw, who we already talked about. Um, I'm trying to think, Scott Atkins, Michael Jai White. So it has all of these legitimate tough guy martial artists, and it puts them all in the in the same film. But here's what it does, and I've been saying this from the beginning with the Expendables films, what these films should have done. Okay, what it does is it casts six amazing martial artists, and it puts three on the good side right? The heroes. Mm-hmm. And then three on the bad guy's side. And then what you're getting is you're getting some actual real squaring off. Okay. Sure. And I've been saying it from the beginning. I feel like that is exactly, even going back, you know what, to be honest, even going back to the first Expendables movie, I honestly think that is what they should have done. Okay. And I've said this numerous times, some people disagree with me, but I honestly do think that the first Expendables movie should have um, had, okay, Stallone's core team goes on a mission but that then the uh, the bad guys um, taint maybe a few members of his team, if you will, and then suddenly mm-hmm. it's uh, okay. It's Stallone, Jason Statham, Jet Li against Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture, uh, and Terry Crews. You know what I mean? And sure. suddenly you, you have these sides going at it. Unfortunately, what happens, um, and it's very evident here in Expendables Four, is you have. You know, this team of of good guys who really never get any injuries, for that matter. Again, no stakes. And they're just blasting a bunch of faceless, nameless goons. It might as well be a PlayStation game. You might as well be playing a video game. But, um, yeah, I think anybody who wants to see the Expendables gimmick done right, please, you owe it to yourself to check out Triple Threat. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And like it, it's like you said, it's the same gimmick but done right. Like these guys all we know that they can bring the goods. They just need a movie to just show up and do all that in. And unfortunately the Expendables movies kind of like beat around the bush for whatever reason. You know, they, they kind of create these stories that are a little too big and you know, not particularly interesting. And I would say that Triple Threat doesn't exactly have the most interesting story, but it gets out of the way and lets these guys do their thing. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think you're absolutely right there. So great first one to kick that off with. Um, I will go with, I feel like a pretty obvious one, but I'm going to go with the John Wick series, especially the later entries, John Wick three and four, especially four uh, overall, but really just... The John Wick movies, they started as this small little revenge story of this guy whose dog is killed and he goes after the people who killed his dog. But as the story and the mythos start to grow, they start bringing in all these other characters and these characters are populated by just insanely amazing action movie people and martial artists. And when we get to this year's entry, John Wick Chapter 4, which is just through the roof amazing, we have like people like Donnie Yen and and Scott Atkins, who we already talked about, and, uh, you know these people giving them this stage where they can show off what they could do in a movie that is going to be seen by millions more people than, you know, these small little direct video or, or foreign films are going to ever get to see. And, uh, you know, especially you get to something like Expendables 4, we're bringing in a lot of Asian cinema people, uh, Eco Uwais, like you mentioned, and Tony Ja. that, seems to be, uh, you know, the place to go to get a lot of, like, the best people in the action world. And both of these series are going there to get them. Most definitely. I mean, yeah. I mean, John Wick did something very similar uh, to um, to a triple threat did. Okay. And and again, it's, it's casting actual uh, tough guys, right? It's casting actual, yeah. real, um, bona fide um, tough dudes. And it's not afraid 
to kill them off. It's not afraid to actually make them vulnerable. I mean, I remember when uh, Scott Atkins was announced that he was going to be in in John Wick 4. It was like awesome. And do you you see him, you know, begging Stallone not to let his character die? Absolutely not. You know, John Wick 4 also had Marco Zarrar. You know what I mean? And so it's, you know, it's 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 refreshing to see a series take those those type of chances. I think we can say. I mean, and and going back to the casting of this one. I mean, look, we already talked about Megan Fox and Fifty Cent's casting. How it's just kind of bizarre in the end. But it's kind of like, man, like I mean, if, if you run down the list, there are dozens of other. I mean, because in the end, if you if you look at these films, they're pretty much going for okay, who has ever held a gun on film, and we're gonna. <laughs> cast that person yes right? that's how 50 cent I, got in for sure yeah there you yeah. go but it's one of those things where it's like okay like if you remember andy garcia's right hand woman who's you know right who's like kind of bartering with the with the terrorist or whatever yeah it's like man like why couldn't they have hired linda hamilton for that role pam greer for that role cynthia rothrock right i mean th- those oh, are yeah. all you know tough gals i mean and it could have been like a little cameo you know that type of casting i think I think in the end makes makes more sense than than what we got. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you have for another piece? Well, you know, and I've said this numerous times. Um, I I'm not a huge fan of the of Netflix and their original content. You know what I mean? Um, however, what I wish the Expendables film would have done is um, I'm sure you've seen Extraction. Mm-hmm. And uh, Triple Frontier. I loved Triple Frontier. I thought Triple Frontier was really yes. good. And so what I wish this film would have done is, again, Extraction and Triple Frontier are men on a mission movies, but that are also gritty and violent and, to a certain extent, semi-real. Now, I'm not saying I want my action movies to be 100% realistic, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of like, man, these films are almost, especially this one, are almost way too jokey. And way too mm-hmm. silly. And I'm not saying the action movie cannot have have humor in it. Okay, I mean some of the sure. best action movies have humor in them. But like it's all of these films, especially this one, almost feels like the the actors should be almost winking at the camera at a certain yeah, point. Yeah, they're I mean, they're just having a good time, and like yeah. I I don't feel like that good time comes across in any funny way. It's just no. It's like you're watching two people who like spending time together, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, I mean, I mean, going back to what I said earlier about the humor being a little forced and being a little immature. But one of the scenes is Randy Couture urinating on a door to loosen it up with moisture. And it's like, like, I mean, did (laughs) we really funny at all? Do we really think that was funny? Do we really think the constant, you know, uh, dick jokes? I mean, there's there's some jokes at the beginning with uh, Stallone and, uh, and Andy Garcia and then. Randy Couture, that's his entire character arc right there. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, like, wow, man. Like, <laughs> I don't even think 10-year-olds would find that funny. But um, I don't think so either. It's yeah. so underwritten and so just like, yeah, there, there's nothing there that's supposed to be funny. Like, it, it's, it, well, it's supposed to be funny. It's just not, though. Exactly, exactly. But, um, you know, I remember, I remember seeing Triple Frontier and again, that's a that's a men on a mission movie where every yeah. one of those actors is a star. And you know what? It works. It works. And it has the balls to kill off members of the team. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? absolutely. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Triple Frontier was actually one that I was thinking about as well. Um, although you also brought up Extraction, like another good example of that. Yeah, the Netflix action movies are they're definitely hit or miss for sure. And I mean, I mm-hmm. I'd still rather see you know guys like Stallone and and like these classic action heroes doing their thing, Dolph, your buddy. But you know, yeah. but uh, these Netflix movies though, like they, they are taking a page out of this book, I think for sure. So good one to bring in here. Um, I'm going to go with one that might be a cheat because I think I might have brought up Expendables as a puzzle piece on the episode when I covered this movie on piecing it together. Uh, But I'm going to go with the Suicide Squad, the James Gunn 2021 reboot sequel kind of mashup thing, uh, which of course also had Stallone in it, uh, but definitely feels like a throwback to the exact kind of movies that the Expendables are trying to bring back. They're, they're both trying to do the same thing and bringing back these like a team of macho eighties, tough guys. Uh, and until of course the suicide squad gets all comic booky in the end and gets, you know, big CGI heavy. But up until that point, it is a bunch of guys on a mission basically. And they're all kind of shit talking each other. We're talking about, about how Stallone and Statham just seem to be just messing with each other the whole time. And it doesn't quite work, but it works a lot better in the suicide squad. I feel like, um, and you know, definitely seems like they're kind of cut from the same cloth of being inspired by the same things. Well, and can I just say real quick? Yeah. I mean, I, I like that. Uh, I like your, um, your points there. Can I, can I just say real quick though? I mean, the Stallone and Statham banter this go round did not work for me as well as it did in the first couple. I mean, especially the mm-hmm. first one. I mean, I think Stallone and Statham have great chemistry among one another. Um, sure. But in this one, it just, I mean, that's the thing that I, that I, I kind of, I kind of left the theater in a lot of ways feeling like this, this film either felt like the, the pilot episode for like a syndicated TV series, or it mm. felt like the, um, like a direct to video sequel. Because, yeah. I mean, if you just look at Stallone and Statham, their very first scene together, I'm just going to say it, it's kind of embarrassing. It really is. It's it's Stallone picking Statham up because he needs Statham's help at a bar beating up some guys who got his lucky ring. And then we find out later on in the film that that was all a big setup. That was a big payoff. But, I mean, it's kind of like... And then that that's also Megan Fox's introduction in the film where she's just mm-hmm. apparently being this uh, this angry girlfriend and she's throwing plates and dishes at Statham and Stallone and Statham and Stallone are of course looking at each other like women am I right and it's kind of like what <laughs> like in 2023 are we and I it's know. just funny too because uh, her, her first scene I don't know if you noticed this or not but her first scene she's wearing heels and this dress and her makeup is like immaculately done to where it's kind of like well where was she mm-hmm. going here you know what I mean like it's 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 I mean <laughs> Anyway, sorry. A lot of strange choices, absolutely. I, I do think you're right, though. Like, the, the, the banter in the earlier films was so much better, and I think that they just kind of rested on, well, people like these two together. That's enough. We don't need to actually write jokes here. Like, mm-hmm. just throw them in a room together. That It'll sell itself. And unfortunately, it doesn't work quite that no. way all the time. No. But uh, why don't we go to another piece? What do you got next? Well, this is, I feel bad admitting this, man, but I think it's, it's kind of evident to where Stallone in his, um, in his career may be heading at the moment. Now, obviously he has Tulsa King, um, which is on Paramount plus or whatever. And then he has the, the reality show. So obviously those are, you know, financially 
successful for him and working. But I mean, if you if you look at Stallone's um, contributions to the film, all he really does is he. Um, I mean, that, that bar scene at the beginning, if you want to call that an action sequence, all he does is he throws the dude over the bar. And that's mm. that's pretty much it. But the rest yeah, of the scenes it. are of him flying a helicopter where he's sitting in one location, okay, with green screen behind him. We haven't said that yet, but this film is filled with green screen like you wouldn't believe. My God. Okay. So much. But his contributions to the film are pretty much just him sitting in a helicopter, and that is it. And it kind of reminded me to an extent to those um all of those Bruce Willis films that we saw. And thankfully right. we're not seeing them anymore. But um Mel Gibson seems to have kind of picked up the mantle from Bruce Willis, where pretty much you um the, these films will cast an aging action star, okay, in the film to kind of help sell the film. But in the end, that actor really isn't gonna be in the film that much. And when they are on screen, it's pretty much them gonna be sitting down at a desk and they're gonna have some younger guy. Okay, who's going to be yeah. picking up the slack and he's going to be doing the heavy lifting. And it's like, man, like when, when you watch what Stallone does in this film, it's kind of like he, he's become the Bruce Willis analog. And I hate saying that. Right. But I mean, that, that's I mean, I just read an article today. In fact, he has another movie that apparently is in production um, called Armored or something. And it has a lot of the same producers of a lot of these kind of low rent type action films. And you know that, that he, that's how he's going to be utilized in that as well. No, I, I think, I think you're right. And you know, these guys, they always kind of have their ups and downs. So, you know, he, he could have that one role that kind of brings him back. And obviously mm -hmm. his health seems to be in a lot better shape than, you know, Bruce Willis was when he was making those movies. But, um, you know, so he, he could be back, but definitely this is a lot like that though, where he's really just there to, to sit in a little machine and then they CGI the background and then that's that. Um, you know, I, I wonder this movie Expendables 4 didn't do very well. So I wonder if we'll see more of this series at all. And if it could potentially be like young guys and he's just like kind of, you know, the old timer that's still there and they just, throw him in a scene like that if they continue that kind of thing i mean i i don't know he's he clearly wants to keep doing it see and i i don't know man i mean because i mean obviously think we have, he does well we have the strike going on right now so maybe that might explain sure. for um lack of um lack of promotion from any of the actors but i just you know what i i didn't i didn't think in my opinion at least it didn't seem to me like stallone really wanted to be there i think maybe mm. he got wind that um producers were thinking hey we're thinking about handing this over to statham would you be okay with that and stolen was kind of like mm, okay fine you know what i mean like i'll, yeah. I'll step away yeah. and and then they were kind of like well we I hope you don't mind we're gonna kill your character and he said no i'm not okay with that i <laughs> I'd, I'd like <laughs> yeah. you to change that up i mean if you look at the marketing i mean that that's the thing i, I that i go back to the marketing of this film was interesting first of all it had a tagline that was um They'll die when they're dead. Which actually I kind of love. That, but it doesn't make any it's, sense. It's stu it's so stupid, but I love it. I, I, I love it. I wish it I wish it leaned into that kind of ridiculousness. I don't know. But if you if you watch, okay, watch the very first trailer for this film, it, it lists the cast lineup, right? Statham, Lundgren, 50 Cent, Megan Fox, and then at the very end it says and Sloan. But then by the mm. second time, the the second trailer that came around. Um, as well as the poster, suddenly Stallone's name was bumped up in mm. the uh, in, in the in the in the credits, and so it's kind of like, huh, like, <laughs> yeah, 
He got a second so, wind. He's, so maybe he he's does want now. to be a part of it still. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Uh, I will go with, um, it's an obvious one, but uh, I'm going with Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious spinoff, uh, which of course star Jason Statham as Shaw and The Rock as Hobbs. They're two characters from the Fast and Furious movies, and they spin off to have to be stuck together in a uh, action movie. And, you know, we were just talking about uh, Statham and Stallone, uh, it, it almost feels like they just um, were like, well, people like their rapport, so we could just coast on that. And that's kind of what Hobbs and Shaw felt like. It was like, we could just take these two stars that people like to see together in their scenes in, their, in this particular movie and coast on the idea that people are, are cool with that. And I, I feel like, unfortunately, Hobbs and Shaw did that because I'm a big fan of the Fast and Furious movies of how just ridiculous and over the top they can get. And Hobbs and Shaw is very over the top, but it's also just it's underwritten. It just doesn't have the jokes that I think it thinks it has. And that kind of makes the whole thing kind of come down a whole bunch. And that that's like the problem with Expendables 4. Um, but, you know, as far as like Fast and Furious, the series, like, it, you know, I feel like it is totally inspired by uh, the, the Expendables series and constantly adding more and more. Who can we get? Who can we get each time out, each time out? And Hobbs and Shaw seems to be a place where we're, we're kind of just coasting on these two main people versus actually getting important new additions to the team yeah i mean i'll admit i was not a huge fan of uh of that particular movie because it got a little um too ridiculous in in many scenes but no you're exactly right is it's kind of you know trading off that kind of macho banter between two guys but then in the end they're going to team up and you know a lot of it could just be nostalgia i mean one of my favorite movies of all time is uh tango and cash I love Tango mm-hmm. and Cash because of the banter between the dudes. Um, yeah. And so maybe perhaps it's that, you know, I'm nostalgic and I'm looking for, for something like that that just doesn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I like that particular piece. I mean, it makes sense um, in the end. But yeah, you, you can tell them. I mean, when they I remember when they were shopping Hobbs and Shaw around. Or when they weren't shopping around, excuse me, but when they announced that they were going to do a spinoff movie, it was very evident that they were like, okay, well, these two characters are the two fan favorites. So we're going to make our own movie that siphons off from that. And it's going to be that, you know, their own thing going on their own adventure. And that's exactly what this was, is this was a side mission, if you will. That inexplicably, sure. they just suddenly made Expendables four. When I think it would, like you, like we said earlier, maybe it would have made more sense if they just made it a Christmas story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then, you know, people love Christmas action movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you have for your next piece? Well, this is this is my last one, but I mean, like I said, I was kind of surprised that this that this went theatrical. To be perfectly honest, because the third one just did terribly at the box office. Unlike, like I said, we've had nine years between the last ones. So theoretically this should have gone direct to video. Um, but uh, it, it didn't. And maybe in hindsight, the fact that we have the strikes going on right now, and it's also in September, September is kind of a dead month. So maybe yeah. um, it made sense them releasing it now around this time. But yeah, it kind of reminded me of a lot of those um, direct to video sequels that we see come out of universal. You know what I mean? Universal mm-hmm. has made like, I don't know, five or six sequels to Death Race. 
You know what I mean? With like none of the cast of the original. And then they've done a ton to like Scorpion King and Tremors and all of those. I mean, and like I said, to an extent, that's kind of what this reminded me of. I mean, the green screen in this film. I mean, I mean, look, this is a millennium film. And I mean, anyone who's seen millennium films know that they have kind of crummy special effects and they use their their lots in Bulgaria for all of their films. And so if you go into it kind of knowing that little caveat, then. I think it's acceptable, but I mean, there are, there's green screens used for, for everything. Even when characters are just simply yeah. talking, you know what I mean? In a room. Everything on the like, boat looks horrible. Every scene boat, on that boat is, is yeah. insane. When they're escaping yeah. the boat, when they're like repelling from the, from the uh-huh. main, um, the giant boat into the, into the little raft. I mean, that is yeah. terrible. And it's kind of like, like, wow, they, I mean, this finished shooting, you know, a couple years ago and in post-production, they didn't think to. I don't know, <laughs> make it a little better. I don't know. Yeah, no, it, it's so true. And like, as far as like those sequels, these, these direct video sequels, it's like, I, I feel like in, in a lot of the ways, like what we're doing with the Expendables movies, it's like coasting. It's a lot of coasting, like mm-hmm. seems to be what, what this series is all about. And seems to be what a lot of these direct video, it's like, you like this name, you like these actors. So, you know, here's more of that, you know, and that'll be good enough. Well, and they didn't even bring back the signature score. That's kind of what, uh, what yeah. you know, I mean, one of the things that I loved about the the first movie um, is that they, they brought in a signature score to, um, to, to carry a lot of the action. I mean, and it's, and it's a great tune. It really is. And they didn't even bring in that. And so yeah. you're, you're kind of wondering like, is this really a true sequel? Like, is this one of those things? Like um, if, if you talk to most um, diehard fans, okay. They say there's diehard one, diehard two, diehard three, but then three and four don't exist. So, mm. I mean, in 10, 15 years, are we going to look at the Expendables franchise and are we going to say, okay, there's one, there's two, which is at the top, three, and then four just doesn't exist. It didn't happen. Like, is that where this is going to go? I don't know. Could be. Could absolutely <laughs> be. Well, for my last piece, I, I cheated again, just like I cheated with my Suicide Squad piece, which is one that I, uh, you know, like I said, I, I've brought up on the show before. But this one I cheated in a different way because I actually haven't seen these movies, but I bet you have. Uh, but I'm going with the Escape Plan series, uh, oh, another man. series of these classic action stars coming together that probably went on way too long. I couldn't believe there's three of these movies. Uh, I I remember the first one. I'm pretty sure I saw that. But the fact that there were sequels, and each sequel, sequel adds on more action stars. Like, that's kind of the same exact uh, trajectory that the Expendables movies took on. And they, they just keep saying, well, who could we get this time? And they add on one or two extra people. And who knows? Maybe that's what we'll get next is Escape Plan for. Well, you know what's really interesting about those sequels is Stallone's contribution to those sequels is pretty much exactly the same to what we're seeing here in Expendables 4, where he pretty much he yeah. shows up at the beginning, okay? And then there's some younger guy that's pretty much doing all of the heavy lifting, all of the action, and then Stallone shows up at the very end. Um, interestingly, both of those sequels went direct-to-video, um, and I believe they were... Were they Lionsgate? Yeah, they were also Lionsgate as well. Um, but for whatever reason, Lionsgate decided to put this one in theaters. I mean, the marketing train for this one even like I said, even though it was a little misguided, was everywhere, all over social media, all over YouTube and everything. And I don't know, maybe if it would have cast people that that we wanted that, you know what I mean, that that made sense. Okay. Yeah. But um 
you know, we, we didn't get any of that. I mean, I'll just say right now regarding Dolph Lundgren, I mean, he looked, I mean, if you, if you, in retrospect, I mean, he actually went public, um, recently he uh, was battling cancer and then he, um, yeah. also had an ankle surgery. I think it was like an ankle replacement. So when you hear a lot of that, it kind of makes sense. But even him, I mean, if you look at the first Expendables movie, he's the, he's like the best thing about it. The second one, he's the comic relief in a lot of the scenes. And then this one, he's, you can tell he's bored. He's moving really poorly. I mean, he just, he's not in the, the best shape that we've seen him in previous films. I mean, he's just not on his A game here in this one. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and I mean, these guys are getting older. They've got health They're issues. Older. So like, yeah, yeah age, it's it, the, it's it, the it perennial grim reaper of us all. Right. Yep, but then Hollywood's going to just keep making them do it. So uh, <laughs> so throughout this conversation about both Expendables 4 and the Expendables series, we talked about G.I. Joe, the other guys, Triple Threat, the John Wick series, Extraction and Triple Frontier, The Suicide Squad, Bruce Willis's late era films, Hobbs and Shaw, these universal sequels like the Death Race movies and Scorpion King movies and Tremors movies, the Escape Plan series. Uh, you know, obviously going into any conversation, whether you're talking Expendables 1, 2, 3, 4, the whole series, it's going to be a whole bunch of action movies. So that's kind of, you know, the main thing that we got going on here. Um, but are are there any, any closing thoughts, anything that we didn't quite get into that you wanted to talk about? Well, I mean, I feel like we, we kind of dumped on the film and I, I wouldn't say it's unfairly dumped. I mean, it, you know, we, we, <laughs> We were honest here. I will say though, um, having said all of that, I did still have I, I did I did still have fun. I mean, it did still keep my attention. Mm-hmm. It does not overstay its welcome. It comes in at a clean, um, I think it's like an hour and forty two minutes, and that's with credits. I mean, so it's I mean, it it does what you would want um in an action movie. I really did like Eco Oase as the villain. Um, and, and it seems like they, you know, you can tell that they added some flavor and style to his character. Like you said, they give him that signature, those signature weapons that he uses. Um, unfortunately, I mean, if you just look at the first, uh, 10 minutes of this film, the first 10 minutes are just very, very clunky. Okay. They're editing in him where he's going onto this base, trying to steal these detonators and he's killing everybody. And then they're intercutting those scenes with, um, Statham and Stallone's silly uh, macho banter. You know what I mean? And it just, yeah. it just doesn't work. And I think a lot of that, what, what it ultimately comes down to is um, Scott Waugh. It's kind of like, why, why out of all the guys, okay, that you're going to hire for um, directing an action movie was the dude for Need for Speed. I don't want to mitigate his talents or anything because, I mean, he's directed a movie. Yeah. I've never done that before. But there are so sure. many other action directors who do, who, deliver on low budgets who would have been amazing at this. There's Jesse Johnson, there's Isaac Florentine, there's William Kaufman. This film would have hired any of those dudes. Um, I think we could have gotten something, you know, maybe not amazingly better, but I think certainly a little more passable. Yeah. Yeah. I I'll say just two quick things. Um, First of all, as far as Expendables four is concerned, uh, the fight scene where uh, Jason Statham and Tony Jaa, uh, team up. I thought that was the one kind of passable scene. Like I thought that that was some pretty solid action versus most of the other action. But as an action movie guy, what did you think about that? 
I loved it. I loved. I mean, again, I think the the inclusion of Tony Jaa in this film was awesome because I've been praising his skills for a while. He did. He teamed up with Dolph um, about eight years ago um, for a movie called Skin Trade. Um, anyone who has not okay. seen Skin Trade, damn, I should have made that a breaking apart piece. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Check out Skin Trade actually because Dolph and uh, Tony Jaa team up in that one, and that one is absolutely awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think Tony Jaa is amazing. I, I will say real quick, though, it does kind of make me laugh how um, Tony Jaa is apparently a former expendable from like 20 years ago. But he's given that life behind for a life of peace. Only he still has the expendables logo on his boat. So it's sure. It's kind of yeah. like... Just in case you never know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> the, so. the other thing I was going to say, as far as like the whole series is concerned, um, I, when I started making my list for this episode, I was a little surprised by how many like team up things were before this. Like, you know, of course, the first thing that came to mind, like, was, are we going to talk about, you know, superhero ones like the Avengers and stuff? But that was all before this. And mm-hmm. uh, like, I, I guess my my memory of this series and where it kind of fits in the whole pop cultural thing uh, is a little wishy-washy and and it's interesting where it kind of sits like we've already we already started getting all of the big superhero team-ups and then the idea came like oh let's get all the action hero guys together and i i think it's a really smart idea and it's a it's a it's easy to see why this came together and why it turned into a whole series um you know i i gotta revisit it too because you talking about how great it was um, I, I remember liking it. I remember liking the first two and then three just being like crap, but, um, I'm going to have to revisit two. I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. Two is great. I mean, I mean, and we didn't really talk about it, but I mean, I think, you know, um, the dirty dozen obviously was one of the inspirations for this particular, um, gimmick to, uh, to, sure. to come to fruition. Um, I think the magnificent seven, um, you know, I, I know, I know some people really like the the original um, much better than the remake. However, I think the remake still has some uh, some things going for it that is actually pretty cool. But again, what the remake did, the one with Denzel, is it doesn't hold back in terms of the violence. And of course, this film was violent as well. But it didn't. Magnificent Seven didn't have that that tongue constantly in its cheek. And mm. I, again, I'm going to go back to it. It had the balls to uh, have some stakes and kill off some major members of the seven so yeah that that is something that's missing from these movies it's missing from all movies nowadays because everyone's so worried about uh you know continuing these franchises so it's it's something in superhero movies it's in everything nobody wants to kill anybody off anymore and it's it's kind of a shame but uh I guess we could talk about that on another episode one of these days Mm -hmm. but I think that does it for the expendables Sean tell people where they can find you and your podcast yeah, so um, I host uh, I Must Break This podcast, um, which is the Dolph Lundgren fan podcast. Uh, <laughs> so it's hard to believe uh, when, when I started the project up um, five, almost six years ago, um, I didn't think I'd be at the point that I am now, but we are um, at episode 100 now. And um, yeah, it, it's a ton of fun. We pretty much uh, look at uh, all of the impressive films and the filmography of Dolph and uh, um, pick them apart, kind of like we've done here. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be closing up here soon, but um, it's uh, it's been a ton of fun. So um, and I've also gotten to interview a ton of people who've uh, had the pleasure of working with Mr. Lundgren on set of a lot of his films. So please check it out. We are on iTunes and um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You've been on a couple times, too. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It was always fun doing that and uh, discovering some Dolph films that I might not have you know, made it to if it wasn't for joining you on your podcast. So 
Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, I imagine you're a better, more intelligent person now as a result. Am I right? Absolutely. So. That's the only way I would put it, for sure. So, Sean, thanks again for being here, and we'll get you back again sometime. All right. Take care, man. All right. So that was my conversation with David Rosen. That conversation is also available on the Piecing It Together podcast feed, where you can check out his reviews and discussions regarding all of the other current film releases. Major thanks to David Rosen for inviting me back on once again. But the fun does not stop there. Uh, Next up will be the thoughts on Expendables 4 from a few guests and friends of the show. Uh, Before we get to those, though, I wanted to read a few of the opinions from fans of the show who wrote in. Uh, First up is Kashif Nassar. Kashif wrote in and stated, uh, I was optimistic about it in the lead-up. After all, it's been several years since the last one. Surely there'll be a good hook to entertain audiences anew, right? I was shocked by how lazy it all was. So full of missed opportunities, underwhelming drama, action, sets, CGI. It is all so meh. Films like Skin Trade and Triple Threat may not be considered classics, but they are rarely boring, had several great action beats and memorable characters. These are achieved with much lower budgets than Expendables 4. I didn't see where the $100 million went for Expendables 4. Was the cast so expensive? No Jet Li, Arnold, Snipes, uh, uh, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, etc. So I don't buy that possibility. I just find it a shame that with more resources, Expendables 4 failed to achieve what many low-budget films do. Uh, Kashif, I couldn't agree with you more, man. Um, I even stated it on Piecing It Together. Yeah, uh, films like Triple Threat and Skin Trade did a much better job at uh, uh, handling the multiple action star gimmick than uh, this particular film did. Uh, Thank you for those thoughts. Um, Steve Dunn also wrote in saying, This series has already featured most of the old legends and too big a cast doesn't benefit anyone. But are we really expected to believe Snipes and Rourke were too busy for at least a cameo? How about Carl Weathers, hot from The Mandalorian being included? A teaser trailer featuring Weathers possibly killing Lundgren would have blown up the internet. Uh, Throw in some B-movie guys like Hughes, Gruner, and Lorenzo Lamas who'd come cheap but appeal to connoisseurs of 90s video shelves. Get Amy Johnston and or Gina Carano in there. The latter comes with a negative press, I acknowledge, but it's not going to worry most of the target audience for this movie. Spend a few dollars more on CGI, kill off Toll Road. That's uh, the Randy Couture character. That's it for now. Um, yeah, another thought I completely agree with, Steve. Thank you so much. You know, I had the idea... The thing with Expendables 4 is they touch upon uh, uh, Dolph Lundgren's Gunner character uh, meeting a gal on the internet. Only that plot thread goes absolutely nowhere. How cool would it have been at the very end if uh, if, if Gunner Jensen said, oh yeah, my uh, my gal from the internet that I met is uh, showing up to meet us and it happened to be Cynthia Rothrocks. Uh, I think that would have been a wonderful opportunity as well. But uh, unfortunately, that was squandered. Okay, uh, so next up will be thoughts on the film from friends and past guests. So included here are a few audio essays from guests who were gracious enough to record and send in their thoughts. First up will be Richard Hawes from the DTV Digest, followed by everyone's favorite podcasting cynic, Seiko Hearsink from Hugging the Cactus, the Mel Gibson podcast, and then rounding out the conversation will be Matt Poyer from the DTV Connoisseur. Enjoy. 
Hi, I'm Richard Hawes from the DTV Digest, and these are my thoughts on Expend 4Balls. Expend 4Balls has been the subject of a lot of criticism since its release, and perhaps deservedly so to some degree. But while there are flaws, not least that title, with its clever use of 4 instead of an A, I thought there was a lot to enjoy. The Expendables series as a whole has never been perfect for one reason or another. The first film wasn't as hard as viewers wanted. The action was choppy, and it was mainly memorable for wasted opportunities. But whatever the shortcomings, it was a cool idea, and it did bring together one hell of a cast. It also provided a boost to the action genre, giving guys like Steve Austin a solid run in its wake, and reinvigorating Dolph Lundgren's career. The second film was better, mainly because of Jean-Claude Van Damme, Scott Adkins, and, arguably, Chuck Norris. The weakest, though, one of the best-looking films in the series, is the third. The structure was awkwardly episodic, but Mel Gibson, doing essentially the same thing he did in Machete Kills, was a great villain. Expend for Balls is, an in, is as indecisive as its predecessor, in deciding to introduce new, younger characters, sometimes not that young, such as Curtis 50 Cent Jackson, alongside the veterans. Those introduced in part three are long gone without mention, as are other favourites. Antonio Banderas's memorable Galgo is replaced by Jacob Skipo playing his son, though it seems they did little more than recast the original role when Banderas didn't sign on. I thought Galgo nailed the part, by the way. Jet Li made his farewell in the last outing, so his absence is not felt, but the same cannot be said for the AWOL Terry Crews. Thankfully, we have Lundgren and Randy Couture, as well as Statham, of course, for continuity. Most notably, series anchor Sylvester Stallone takes a back seat this time, allowing Jason Statham to lead the team. Only he doesn't, at least not at first. An issue with this entry is that it seems to want to disregard the team element, also a problem at times in previous entries. To make this a film focusing primarily on Statham, it's pulling in two different directions. With Stallone sitting this one out for the most part, the film really struggles to find its feet. But when it does, it gets pretty good. Unfortunately, there's more to be said about the film that's bad than good. It stands apart from the previous films, not only in its focus on Statham over the other characters, but in its efforts to be more R-rated than the previous films, adding in a lot of swearing and graphic violence, which felt quite forced. Funnily enough, in the UK... This film has exactly the same age rating as the previous films, 15. The team dynamic and banter is at times better than in previous entries, although a repeated gag about Couture's toll road talking about his cauliflower ear doesn't really work. The action is solid, with both Eco Uwais and Tony Jaa providing gr proving great additions to the cast and their skills utilised quite well. But then there's the bar fight a completely pointless scene in the first act which introduces Mike Muller, one of the best on-screen fighters of his generation, and then completely wastes him. For every positive thing, there's several negatives. The presence of Megan Fox is a perfect example of this. The shrieking introduction of her character is terrible and completely undermines her character before she's even had the chance to do anything. Her being positioned as the nominal new leader of the team in the second act both in contrast to the more experienced characters, such as Statham's Lee Christmas and Contour's Toll Road, and in contrast to that earlier scene, set her up for failure.
it seems a, a misogynistic move. But at other times, her character is shown to be as formidable as she is sexy. Fox has played this kind of character before. Her leading role in 2020's Rogue is very similar, but more respectful. While to many the idea of Megan Fox as an action hero is laughable, she does have it in her. Rogue proved it. And there are scenes in this film that reinforce that. The Expendables films have all betrayed their low-budget roots. Investing huge money in their casts, the films have typically unremarkable, sometimes phony-looking locations. The same is true here, in which the action moves from one generic wide-open space to another until the remainder of the action is confined to a vessel. This setting is perhaps a little unexciting for some, allowing for much of the film to be made on a soundstage, which looks cheap compared to the globe-trotting we've become accustomed to uh, from the likes of Fast X and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. But it is very much in keeping with the roots of the franchise, which reach back to the straight-to-video films of New Image, sister company to Millennium Media, formerly Millennium Films, the producers of this whole series, and before that, a trial run called Submerged with Steven Seagal. This is not a standard studio blockbuster. It's kin of the likes of the five Operation Delta Force films. Expendables 4, or Expendables, as it is officially known, is not a great film. It's a pretty mediocre one. But there are a lot of scenes, but while there are a lot of scenes that don't work, and many decisions which distract the viewer, such as the manner in which Stallone's absence is established, which the film couldn't recover from for quite some time, there's a decent amount to enjoy. The heavy-handed violence is unexpected and at times well-executed. The team-ups and showdowns pretty satisfying. Given the poor box office, a fifth entry seems unlo- uh, unlikely at the moment. But you can rarely keep a franchise down even after a bomb. Perhaps we'll see a DTV sequel, which will bring things full circle. Stallone has already made a handful of DTV films, including the messy Escape Plan sequels, so there's certainly no reason to doubt that we could see a made-for-VOD Expendables movie, with at least a cameo by Sly. One that might perhaps reunite some of the VHS-era stars who haven't yet made appearances in this series. As much as I like seeing these films in the cinema, seeing these adventures on the small screen would be fine by me. I must break this podcast, listeners. This is Sicko Heersink from Hugging the Cactus, a Mel Gibson podcast. I have chosen this as my return to podcasting. It's been nine months. It's been a while. I'm going to sound rusty, but here we go. The topic I've been asked to cover today is, of course, Expendables 4. Here are my first impressions. Bad CGI. Remember how Stallone harped on... Expendables having only practical effects? Well, hmm, that's gone the way of the dodo. How he didn't have money to blow up an aircraft carrier, so no CGI. He only wanted practical effects. <laughs> Prepare for green screen hell, people. Next problem I had with it, the writing. Atrocious. This one's clearly written by ChatGPT and some silly writer's room that had notes shoved on him plot, nonsensical as it is, is hard to follow, simplistic, stupid, and just generally insulting to your intelligence. Stallone, of course, is only in it for five minutes, 
he's like the one bright spot. Uh, Stallone must have Stallonified his scenes a little bit. So he's in one scene where he cock blocks Jason Statham with Megan Fox. That's a blessing. Uh, it's also a little funny. He's in a bar fight. That's funny too. It, the bar fight makes no sense, but at least it's entertaining. And of course, he's seemingly killed off, disappears for most of the movie, and spoilers, returns in the end. It does bring us to the next problem of this movie. Why is Megan Fox in this movie? Why is discount Angelina Jolie in this movie? Well, her fake boobs, of course. They do zoom in on them, fully clothed a lot. But of course, this isn't the 70s where you'd get a decent gratuitous boob shot. Instead, we have to suffer the insufferable, which is Megan Fox trying to act and trying to be an action star, which she clearly is not. And to round out my problems with this movie, the jokes don't land. Now, this is not new. Uh, Expendables 3 is famous for its campy jokes, delivered with really bad timing. I mean, the whole Expendables series has always been a kind of a bad dad joke bomb fest. Unfortunately, the it's so bad it's good does not apply here. It's just bad. Really, really bad. It's so bad, it makes episode 3 look good. So, part 3. And that's going to be convenient, because I will be covering that on my next season of a Mel Gibson podcast, because Mel's in it. And now I can at least say, part 3 is not the worst in the franchise anymore. Part 3 at least made its money back. This one won't. Expendables is over, people. Over. With a fizzle, not a bang. They should have left well enough alone. But someone must have needed money. Now, if this, if there has to be a bright spot in this movie, it's definitely Dolph. At this point, he's probably mid-cancer treatment and he can't really do much. Hence why the machine gunner is relegated to sniper overwatch. And he's just mostly lying down, which is probably a smart way to utilize him. But it's kind of a shame because his character was such a big part of the first first movie. The big charm of Expendables, which is just seeing your old action heroes again, who are still sort of doing well, kind of. Uh, it doesn't really apply here. I mean, Dolph is not doing well. Stallone is way old. Even Jason Statham is getting to look a little grisly around the edges. So they, of course, bring in a new batch of people. And a new batch of people you've never seen in other movies. That's why you're an Expendable. Because we've seen you in other stuff. We've admired you in other stuff. And now you're in a team with other guys. But you're not. So in closing, Expendables was done about a decade ago. And now they've done a cash grab. Well, we've seen a lot of that over the last few years. Don't look for things to improve in Tinseltown. Skynet is writing the scripts now. And the lunatics are in charge of the nuthouse. But at least we've got our old stuff to talk about. Stay tuned. More to come. All right, thank you, Sean, for inviting me to share my thoughts on the fourth Expendables film. Um, I had a few takeaways for, from this movie. Uh, I think the first one, you know, I saw it in the theater. Um, it's only the second movie I've seen in the theater um, recently. I think the only other one I saw before that was uh, the Macbeth movie that Joel Cohen did. So, But in terms of, like, kind of big uh, blockbusters, I saw Fast X in the theater. And I think the... The takeaway that I had from Expendables 4 seeing it in the theater was I don't know that it needed to be in the theater. Uh, this movie, I think, would have been perfectly fine direct-to-video, seeing it on um, on you know your home entertainment system. It didn't feel like it had anything that was larger than life that 
was in, would, would have been enhanced by the theater experience. So that was kind of the first takeaway was that I was, I was, I felt like I was watching a direct to video movie in a way. Um, and I'll get into some, maybe some more reasons why I felt that. The other piece, of course, is that it's been 10 years since Expendables 3. And I understand there were a lot of ways that Expendables 3 was sautéed in wrong sauce. There are a lot of places where Stallone zigged when he should have zagged. Uh, you know, he, he has this really great cast at the beginning. We get this really exciting mission they go on, and then suddenly he shelves them and brings us in, you know, Kellen Lutz, Ronda Rousey, whatever. Um, you know, like the Kelsey Grammer thing, right, didn't make a lot of sense. It was it was kind of funny to see, but in terms of, like, if we're taking a movie seriously, yeah, it did, you know, a lot of it didn't work. It was PG-13, right? That was a piece that I think still wishes he had back and he, he, I think he's even said as much so you know Expendables 13 right it, it, sorry Expendables 3 didn't go well and I understand maybe wanting to shelve the series for a little bit take a break maybe go four or five years but if you're going to go 10 years between between movies there really has to be a reason why you're coming back for that you know that that fourth movie after 10 years and this did not feel like a we we really want to come back and revisit this kind of movie. It, it from a story standpoint, with the whole thing with Stallone's character dying off, and then you know maybe he comes back or not. That feels like either a direct to video sequel that you would have had a few years after Expendables three. Um, it, it feels like it could have been Expendables three, right? It could have been what Expendables three was. It it's the kind of movie that. You think of like like Fast Eight or Fate of the Furious or whatever, right? Where where Vin Diesel goes bad for a second and then he comes back, right? It's that kind of a mid franchise movie storyline, as opposed to it's been ten years since you've seen any of these people. Let's just erase Stallone from the film for a good chunk of it and come back. Um, you know, I think if you if you had characters really died. Right, if they had really decided to kill off Stallone's character, and the idea was we're going to do a series of Expendables sequels with Statham now at the head, and this is sort of a torch passing, I, I'd get it, right? I'd say, okay, this this makes sense, but they didn't do that, right? And so that that's the other piece, right? But if you're going to wait ten years to make a, 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 another Expendables movie. It feels like if you're going to come back and revisit this, it's got to be something really, really spectacular, uh, and, and it wasn't. Um, the cast, right? The cast kind of felt almost like a, a skeleton crew kind of thing, and they didn't really get into why it was a skeleton crew kind of thing. It would have been interesting if they had talked about how, like, yeah, you know, we've been having trouble, you know, people have left the group, you know, we lost all these guys, and now it's just, you know, you know, uh, uh, Toll Road and Gunner, uh, or not Toll Road, um, yeah, was that, I, I could, Randy Couture and, 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 and Dolph, right? And then, um, they add Megan Fox's character. We don't really get a lot of backstory into why she would be the leader or not, um, you know, so it, was, it was kind of an odd crew that they had. They add 50 Cent to it. Uh, but that's another piece, too, right? Is that as you're watching the series on, you know, for, for episodes one and two or movies one and two, right? You've built this really great team. You bring this really great team back. Um, you, you know, you add Liam Hemsworth, which again, you know, with, with Van, D- Van Damme as the baddie, if you're going to kill off a Hemsworth, they do it the best way possible in number two. Part three, it looks like they're building even more, right? Because now they add Wesley Snipes, and he's just, you know, having a ton of fun, and, and he's, you know, doing a great job interacting with everybody, and it's, it's it's a really good time seeing him. And then suddenly they're like, no, no, we're going to get rid of all these guys and just go with, you know, Kellen Lutz and Ronda Rousey and whoever else and, you know, go completely sautéed in wrong sauce there. And then we get to this one where it's kind of like, you know, where is everybody? And they don't really get into why they're, where is everybody? Um, there's some other weird aspects of this too that tonally felt off. Um, Mike Muller's in this, which Mike Muller, if you've ever seen him in any direct to video stuff, he is just an absolute, like, spark plug. Like, just, I don't know what the, what the, right, Spitfire, just absolutely amazing. Um, just a ball of energy when he's on screen. Fantastic martial artist. Um, you know, if, if you see him in, in any of the, the, he's done a few direct to video pieces. Um, 
I wanted to see him get after it. They didn't really let him get after it. Um, and in fact, they just sort of kill him. And, and in fact, like he gets murdered. Um, and you know, like they, they kind of reveal at the end that he was just sort of murdered by by Stallone. And it's kind of like it was supposed to be like played for laughs. But I was like, wow, how is that funny that you know our heroes are just murdering people in cold blood? Um, so so that one kind of didn't really fit right uh, there. You know, so that, that I don't know that that was a weird spot there. So there were some of those kind of things as well that things just tonally didn't feel right. Um, you know, in terms of the good things, I did like Eco Weiss as the baddie. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more from him. I would have liked to have seen a better fight between him and Statham, but I wonder too if part of it was like, you know, Eco Weiss needs somebody. Like, he would have needed to fight Tony Jaw to make it really, maybe a really great fight scene at the end. Um, I like Tony Jaw as well. So, you know, those are some good additions. Um, but yeah, I think I'm just ultimately left with those, those feelings that one, I don't know that this needed to be on the big screen. Uh, it didn't feel like it. there was any real real reason for it to have been on the big screen. I, I enjoyed seeing it on the big screen, so I don't want to say that. But that that's the first takeaway. The second one, if you're going to wait 10 years, is this the movie we waited 10 years for? And I think that's that's another piece of it that, I, you know, that didn't work. And then again, the casting element of it that, like, you know, why did we have the skeleton crew as the expendables? What was going on with guys like, you know, like, like there, there could have been a little bit more Gunner, um, you know, a little bit more talk with, about what was going on with him, but also what happened to the other crew, why they're not there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, if this had been a direct-to-video sequel five years after, or if this had been what Expendables 3 was, I think we could have taken it a little bit better. I think we would have appreciated it more. But as, as the movie that came ten years later, yeah, unfortunately, I think it just ultimately doesn't work. All right, major thanks once again for everyone who wrote in and participated. No, clearly Expendables 4 was not the sequel that we all wanted, but it was still fun in its own right, which is, of course, a major perk. Uh, just a heads up, but next month we'll be covering another trio of Dolph Lundgren films. Uh, screenwriter Tom Jolliffe will be making his big return to the show, where we'll be discussing Acceleration, Hard Night Falling, and The Tracker. So please stay tuned for that. In the meantime, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break, this podcast. Mm-hmm.